You're listening to Stir Crazy with Steve Jenkins. Conversations with creatives during the quarantine. Hey, people. This is Stir Crazy with Steve Jenkins, and I am Steve Jenkins. First, some quick housekeeping. In case you didn't know, I am teaching Skype lessons. And if you're listening to this and you play bass and you want to take lessons from me, now is the time to do that. I still have a few spots available for May. So if you're interested, either DM me on my Instagram, which is at Steve Jenkins, or you can send me an email directly through my website, which is stevejenkinsbass.com. All right. This week, I'm talking to the amazing guitar player, David Fuzinski, or as he's known by many, Fuse. The first time I heard Fuse was on the Michelle and Deggio cello song, Soul Record, which is the first song off of her first album, Plantation Lullabies. And he takes this blazing guitar solo. As a bass player, that album was a huge deal to me already, but I was also a fan of Fuse's guitar playing from then on. I soon heard Lunar Crush, which is an album that Fuse made with John Medeski, and it would feature Screaming Headless Torso's members Fema Efron on bass, Jojo Mayer, who plays drums on some of it, and Gene Lake, who also plays drums on some of it. And then, of course, Fuse is known as the guitar player and band leader of Screaming Headless Torso's, which is a genre-smashing band that mixes funk, jazz, avant-garde, metal, free jazz, gospel, electronic music, and everything in between. He's also worked with people like Ronald Shannon Jackson, Bernie Worrell, Stuart Copeland, Hiromi, Billy Hart, Jack DeJohnette, and many others. In terms of my path and story as a musician, Fuse is an extremely important person. He's totally one of my mentors, and when I set out to make my first record, I hired him to play on a couple of tracks. It was a really cool experience for me, and he completely elevated that music and I totally had no idea that it would lead to touring with Screaming Headless Torsos for a few years, as well as playing in his trio that he called Keef. And we made a record called Keef Express, and it was myself, Fuse, and the great drummer, Scooter Warner. Fuse was the first person to really get me to think about artistry and what my intent was in terms of expression on a deeper level. Sometimes we'd definitely go at it, because I was younger, and uh, I liked playing a lot of notes. And he liked pointing out that you can be a great artist and not rely on having to play a lot of notes. But I also learned about how to commit to what a vision is and how to follow it. And there aren't many creative people who can live and die by that. But then again, there's only one fuse. We had a great conversation, and here's how that went. What's been happening, man? Uh, you know, uh, just um, changed over to online teaching. Are you guys using Zoom? Is that the main thing, or does Berkeley have their own kind of proprietary? Uh, basically, uh, uh, mostly Zoom, but um, depending on where students are, just mix it up with Google Hangout and Skype, but mostly Skype and Zoom. Right on. How's that been, man? Has it been crazy, or um, how did they roll that out exactly? Well, it's more like, you know, push came to shove. It's wasn't so much rolled out. It was like, well, this is the this is the only way we can do this. And I'm grateful because, you know, many people have like lost their jobs. 
that's what everybody's kind of facing right now. Uh, everyone's 2020 has been eviscerated effectively two weeks ago. And uh, how are you? How are you dealing with this? Well, um, it kind of day to day. Uh, I mean, I I guess the past couple of years I've been diversifying income. So playing gigs and stuff and touring is has always been a pretty big part of that. But um, I started to build my Skype student roster and teaching and then, you know, remote sessions and uh, even like some programming stuff uh, and, and like sometimes like rhythm section tracks, like where I'll, where I'll program drums and bass. And um, so, I mean, there's a few different things um, I, I kind of make money from besides all that. But I don't know, man, like the gigging thing out here was kind of starting to go pretty well. You know, it took a while because I mean, been is there is there a scene in L.A.? I mean, it's it's kind of like everywhere else uh, and by everywhere else, like New York is I feel like the, it's you've got like scenes where people just kind of go to hang out. And that's a thing in New York where it's like they'll have these things where people just kind of play and no one makes any money. Then you have people that have like vanity projects where you might get hired to do something and, you know, you make decent money because those things are well funded. And then, you know, you got artists and stuff like that uh, that sort of start out or they, they're based out here. Um, and then there's like a whole recording thing, which is interesting because there's like kind of the ironclad, you know, the like the real deal classic studio thing with all the all the all the legends that are out here. And then, you know, there's everyone's got like a studio in their backyard or in their place. So. There's a lot of stuff going on, man, but it's, I have to say like the weirdest realization I've had, you know, in the, in the past 10 years was something that like you said from the onset, really, which was like, it's sort of a DIY world, you know? And, and I think that's the, that's the weirdest part. It just seems like the people who I know are, that are doing the best in this game, whatever the game would be, are people that sort of have their own thing going on and maybe they can parlay that into some session work and other stuff, but they have, their home base is kind of like their own stuff. You know, it's their own original music or they have a thing that's like, you know, uh, people want to hear and, and they can sell it. Um, which seems very counterintuitive to what, well, what I, you know, for me, it's just kind of like, uh, you know, I'll give you two examples. You know, I started teaching at Berkeley and, you know, I kind of became this like, you know, you start to get into the teaching rut. And then Jim Odron came up to me and he was like, hey, have you checked out the registration manuals? Anything in there that you don't see that you could, you know, think about doing? And long story short, it's you could go to Berkeley as your job or you could pick up Berkeley as an instrument and play on it. Yeah. So I was thinking, like, wow, how could I make this work for me? How could I do things that are more fun? Or another example is like the 55 bar. Um, you know, we all look for gigs, but what's his name? Uh, Mike Stern's bass player. He went in there one day. That, you know, that place is, it was and still is kind of a dive. Um, mm -hmm. But just by going in there, the bass player was like, hey, you want some music in here? 
And that's like huge. People think about getting gigs. They don't really think about creating gigs. That may be more happening now because of the whole social media and the whole like dot-com boom where people like, you know, these self-made millionaires overnight. Obviously, that doesn't happen for the masses. But that concept, you know, we, we, we think in a very linear fashion. I go up to X and try and get a gig with him or her. I go to a club and try and get a gig. There's not really so much thought of like, how could I create the scene myself? Yeah, I, I kind of feel like that's something people ultimately reckon with, though. Um, you know, because it gets to a point where it's like, I don't know. It's I think people age out of certain gigs, you know, like not not because they're super old, but it's like, you know, people are like, I don't want to sleep on the floor anymore uh, or I don't want to do these types of gigs anymore. Um, you know, that moment for me came last year. You know, like and and I won't like say whose tour it was, but it was pretty bad. And the tour ended up getting canceled and I had to chase my money down. And this was like a name dude with really good players in the band. And I was like, man, I don't think I can do this anymore. Oh, you know? right. It, I think you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, and it was really eye opening, you know, and and in a strange way, like for a couple months, I kind of just stayed home because that's how long we were supposed to be out for. And I wasn't really prepared for how I was going to feel after that happened because it was definitely, I don't know. I just think, I think, you know, this, this thing is like, it's a great playing music is the greatest thing, but I think trying to parlay it into a job and stuff, it's not always great. So yeah, I definitely yeah. feel, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting way to make your way through life. But I think, I think being proactive and trying to like look at opportunities the way you describe looking at Berkeley, I think that's the appropriate way to navigate now. Um, you know, I mean, like, do you remember where your mindset was like before, right before the Berkeley thing? Like, were you getting kind of burnt on side or, you know, like kind of just floating around and juggling projects and doing side man stuff? Or were you kind of ready for another like phase? No, it was more like, my ex-wife was like, dude, get a fucking job. But I mean, you've, you've managed to like build a really great thing there. Like, how's the, I mean, I think what you probably introduced, like how long have you been there? Like 15 years, 16 years, something like that. 18. Oh, wow. So, so that's like 18 years of hipping people to microtonal stuff, different. Groups. Well, I'd say more like, 12 years um but i was always kind of into it and um it's just also the realization that uh, you know people my age i mean first of all you know we got houses spouses kids cars bills right and not a lot of jam time and the people who had time for experimentation you know were people like you and tony and akira um, and you know, then the subsequent, you know, they're the heads. Mono, yeah. David Ginyard, Alex Bailey, Louis Cato. Have you uh, heard of Jarrell Campbell? He just moved to LA. No, I've been, you know, it's weird. Like I figured 
with with stuff like that, there's always um, there's always a few avenues where people run into each other. That's one thing that's definitely cool about uh, L.A. Also, going back to your first question, there are definitely like musician hangs that are pretty pretty cool, man. People are nice out here, um, and I don't just mean like front front facing nice, where you know like you know there's there's some kind of like you know dark side to it that people don't see like i find that like people are pretty pretty cool you know and supportive i don't think it's the most open scene i think people have to fight their way into it but i think it's been well, what's interesting what was what what's what's interesting is what you're saying is um it's kind of like a viable thing like what used what people used to say is that um, there's just there's just nothing happening on in in LA. So that has changed. Oh yeah, I'm not saying it's great. You know, New York is great, but you know, there's stuff happening. Do we love it? No. Does it pay? No. But there's stuff happening. Yeah. There's a real creative thing that's happened out here in the past couple years and predating, you know, definitely predating my time out here. But there's definitely people that want to go hear um, more progressive stuff. And uh, there's also, you know, there's kind of an interesting electronic scene that came from here. Um, you got people like Flying Lotus and people like that there was like a really really uh popular night where a lot of those types of artists would go play um yeah i mean it's it's a it's a really big place though it's sprawling and i think there there's like challenges with with la that have to do with just i mean it seems almost endless as far as like where where you can go and like where people play to some degree you know, but then it's also like showbiz stuff and like, you know, that's a game too. And, and it's definitely, I don't know that that component exists as much in New York only because even though people film TV shows and movies in New York, I don't believe like the hearts of those industries totally live there. That's more out here. So, you know, it's like, you'll go out to stuff and it's definitely people are definitely on the clock as far as like, you know, they're dressed a certain way. And I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just that game, but there's definitely people out here that are, you know, they're into weirder music or they're into progressive stuff. And I don't know, that's been kind of an interesting, um, an interesting thing to realize, but it's also not something that's been here like that forever. So, um, I don't know, man, there's, there's definitely like, a lot of good players out here too. Like it's not just, you know, people of a certain ilk. So, um, I don't know. That's been kind of cool. I, I dig the lifestyle. It definitely took me a while to get used to it because, uh, I think New York, you can really, you kind of do what you want there, you know? And even if you're an introvert, you can always go out the minute you want to be around people and then disappear the minute you're kind of over it. Are you guys still in New York or did you, are you in, I can't remember where are you, oh, West Westchester, 30 minutes uh, North. Oh, okay. How's stuff going out there? Are people kind of hunkering down and sheltering in place? Uh, yeah, everybody's 
everybody's, you know, and, you know, there's just more and more reports of the people who don't, they get hurt. Yeah, it's been pretty crazy. I haven't really been going out, man. Like, I'll go out for a walk, and I usually go at night because nobody's really around. Or I'll go for, like, a drive just if I want to see stuff. But that's about it. I've been just kind of hunkering down. What do you think's going to happen, like, when all this is finally done? Or do you think it's too soon to too soon to tell? I mean, things will go back to normal. And, you know, everyone's going to struggle to catch up. But do you, what do you mean? Like, what's going to happen now? No, I mean, I think I think that's that's something I guess we're sort of watching in in like real time, and I don't, I don't really know. It's it's tough because like L.A. doesn't seem to have like it seems like the the local government like Garcetti and the and Gavin Gavin Newsom are sort of doing a really good job, kind of like what Cuomo's doing, but. I think New York at this point is probably in a wor- is in way worse shape um, than L.A. seems to be, but I don't know if I don't know if it's just because L.A. hasn't caught up yet. So I don't I, I wouldn't know. But I just mean I just mean like you know with with like the music business and you know do you think that's going to change anything about playing shows? Because I feel like that's the real linchpin in how a lot of the economy that surrounds what we do works. You know. Um, in a lot you of other, I think it might be less or more, or I think, I think it, it could make a full return if people felt like it was safe to go out somewhere, you know, like, and I think that's really, that's really the thing that will define what normal is again. You know, I think it comes down to if people feel like they can go to a, a room full of people watching music and not have to worry about their health being compromised. Um, and then, you know, I guess it's, it's sort of like down the line with all the other things that sort of have that sim, symbi- symbiotic relationship with like concerts or, or, you know, bars, you know, it's like the vendors that have to go into those places and, and unload the alcohol or, you know, just the people that work on the lights that, have to touch things like I think that's it it's like a confidence restoration thing as much as it is just going back to normal so that's the mm. part I'm that's the part I'm kind of wondering about you know I guess those things are not really reflected in the stock market but that's really what I think a lot of economies of different jobs sort of rest on you know I mean but, you don't think they'll be itching to get back to biz I think people I think people will be Totally. And I, I'd like to think that um, when this is all done, whenever it is, people will be a bit more present and a, li- a little bit more deliberate when they're going to watch something. So people aren't going to be on their phones and stuff. But but, yeah, no, I think people if, if there was a green light and and it was like, OK, we're, everything's cool. Yeah, I think people would totally go back to uh, totally go back to the normal the normalcy of what it was prior to the quarantine gosh let's hope so i mean i have no idea so like before all this like what have you been working on musically man have you been been writing any stuff or any anything kind of well, development the big thing is yeah there's always stuff in development so 
uh, Georgi's thing came out in February, although now everything's on hold. So Georgian microjams. Yeah. And you know that this is the first guy who's really pushed it all away. You know, everybody's different. I know I tell people in the microtonal ensemble, you do this, um, cool, you don't, it's cool too. It's just a different way of thinking. But with Georgi, um, he wanted to, and it was interesting to watch him develop from a good to a great player and uh, then develop from a good to a... uh, Great, you know, uh, you know, very good composer. He was, you know, doing writing jazz concertos and big band stuff. But this is like his first step forward as a unique Georgian composer. So he took the micro concept, went home, transcribed all these Georgian folk choir tunings, and wrote music. Some of it based on 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 traditional material, and some of it. Um, completely original. So here's like a here's like a definite you know new stage in his life. I mean, he always wanted he always wanted to not just be a composer, but a Georgian composer, and he's done it. I mean, you can love it or you can hate it, but you can't say, "Oh man, heard this before." So that was really great. You know, Mano has done it, but he you know he's you know he was doing like. Um, uh, uh, you know, his Southern Soul micro thing, which is great. Yeah. But then um, he just kind of, I don't know, he's doing other stuff, which is fine, you know. It's just in terms yeah. of, you know, my interest, it's interesting to see, you know, Georgi is the first. Then um, we have a whole record in the can with um, Utar, Utar Tune. And um, so that's like a Mideastern microjam, mostly like Turkish influences. Working on a Chinese microjam, I had a record in the can with uh, Medeski, so it's kind of like a new lunar crush. But again, you know, all bets are off right now. Oh, wow. And, that's cool. And then slowly working on new torsos material, but that's been difficult everybody in their schedules and so forth so that stuff and then i was you know doing some zorn gigs with uh john medeski's trio um so there's a lot going on it's just you know getting it out there marketing it i mean you know it was interesting when john when i hosted john mclaughlin at like a question and answer session at uh at berkeley you know, this guy has been wildly successful. I mean, the stuff that just doesn't exist anymore, like first Mahavishnu record. That did you know that sold a million copies? Uh, I a didn't. Mil- I didn't. Yeah, a million I, copies. I mean, you know, if you do a jazz record and you sell five thousand copies these days, I mean, granted, you know, you're not going to get a hundred thousand dollar budget, but if you sell five thousand, I mean, sell. Move 5,000 units one where you will have a deal for the rest of your life. I mean, it's going to be on a smaller scale. Yeah. But it's just like stuff that doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, and then also the Friday night in San Francisco, 
a million copies. I mean, this guy has been wildly successful. Yeah. And the first thing he's, you know, you know, it's the usual thing. What's the main advice you can give? And he said, well, the first thing he said is, well, you need to realize what we do is marginal with his, he has this, like, <laughs> is, 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 he has this really, um, uh, English gentleman vibe and accent. He said, what we do is marginal. I was like, wow. I mean, if you think about all the egos out there and, um, the tide comes in and the tide goes out. And if he's saying that, I mean, imagine me trying to do my thing, which is like, it's, it's like, um, I mean, I'm like the black sheep among black sheep, among outcasts, among rogues, among, you know, under, you know, I'm the, I'm, I'm like the sub basement level in the underground. So it's really, really difficult. That, I mean, I, I see that. I, but I also think, you know, you've, you've definitely carved out a thing anyway. So you definitely have like the audience, uh, to a certain extent, you know? Um, and, and I think because of the way that like the internet works, even if it's a slower moving boat, sometimes like people, people like eventually find things that they hadn't heard before. Like someone, I forgot who it was, man. Someone texted me about Keith express and it wasn't that long ago. And, they were like, yeah, I'd never listened to this before, and this thing's amazing. I was like, yeah, this is a cool band for a while. You know, like, it, this was definitely, like, a cool project, and, and the writing is cool, and the, you know, the whole thing was, like, a great thing, you know? But I don't know. People just kind of find stuff when they find it, and uh, I don't know. I think what's hard is, like, the great things about, people having the ability to put stuff out it it there isn't really like a central place for everything so i don't know man like i heard about how big ma vishnu was in the 70s um from people that lived it like there was this dude i'm sure this is not accurate but he said that like ma vishnu opened for yes and when they were done half the audience bailed i don't know if i believe that but i definitely believe that they probably made a dent influence wise in that audience because it that's a pretty decent show right there um i mean i mean i heard tony told me that you know when they were on the road with uh uh what's that big boss aerosmith they would you know aerosmith was like so messed up with drugs they would pay them not to play because they just didn't want to deal with the whole circus wow ma vishnu would yeah. You never hear about b bands that are that different from each other touring so much anymore. I know? mean, that's another thing that it used to be cool that way. Now it's like, you know, it has to be like three R&B bands or three reggae bands or it's a different thing. I think people want to also like have a certain guarantee that they're putting together they're curating a night that's going to bring people out so there's not there's not really like a uh as wide a wide a net necessarily they're going for something that's like the shore 
like the no brainer. Of course, people will go see this type type stuff. Um, I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing. What what kind of stuff have you been listening to lately? Are there any records you've been checking out? Well, um, there's just a lot of stuff that's connected through micros. So, been listening to some traditional Ecuadorian music because I might do some research when I go back. Um, there's a former student of mine. He's got something called Ukeu Orchestra. Um, U-K-I-Y-O. Ukeu Orchestra. And he mixes traditional Japanese elements with, like, jazz fusion. Um, the last... God, man, you, you notice you get older and you're like, man, it's like you can't remember anything. Um, oh, Miles Okazaki's record. Oh, is Rickman on that one? Is that yeah. the Yeah. Yeah, I just talked to him, man, um, not too long ago. Do you know Praven Thompson? No. Yeah, he's got this kind of like jazz record that mixes like Kind of like indie, almost prog rock with jazz. It's a very organic, creative. That's but cool. then other one, uh, Praven, P-R-A-V-I-N, Thompson. Okay. It's called A Thoughtful Collapse. Oh, yeah, I'll check that out. I haven't heard that. Kind of mirrors what's, I guess, going on in the world right now. <laughs> Right. Um, John Zorn sent me this thing called Ubu. It's kind of nuts. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful, big, considering it's so crazy. And then otherwise, you know, checking out some African microtonal stuff. Students seem to uh, be curious. That's cool. What What specifically, though, is there, are there any, like, artists that you can... Um, with the African stuff? Yeah, yeah, like who? Um, it's just the initial research. I mean, North African stuff is, like, pretty Arabic. So, um, and I've, I've had a lot of experience with that. But this is, you know, checking out, like, Kora and, uh, you know, the African harp and, like, I'm going to check out some Mbira and Balafone, like African xylophone stuff, because not all of that is 12-note tempered, but it's, you know, obviously grooves like hell. And um, it's really, uh, it's really beautiful. I've heard some of that stuff, but I'm, I'm trying to, trying to dig deeper. I've been trying to, like, check out, I don't know, I'm at a point now where I've been trying to listen to some different things uh, and break out of the, uh, the the patterns of listening of you know for certain things i mean i'm all over the place with music as far as what i listen to so that's what's that's one thing that's been cool about this current era that we're in where you can kind of just grab anything at any time but you know sometimes it's cool to have guided tours of like here check this out you know this is good 
because it just seems like it's an endless pit of like mostly cool stuff I'm hearing, but it's it's definitely it's definitely intimidating how much stuff there is, you know. I guess that's the one thing about music is like there's always something you haven't heard. What's just, some like stuff you're listening to where you can like clearly hear like new rhythmic ideas? Uh, there's a metal band called Carbomb, and I think I think they're probably one of the most interesting sounding bands right now because from an execution Carbomb. standpoint, yeah, and the guitar player is really awesome in that band. There's some interesting stuff he does, which I don't know if it would fly under the flag of like microtonal playing. But what I think he's doing is um, he's got like a whammy pedal and he's like pulling his he's pulling himself out of tune with it. But it's like a gradual thing. He uses it. He uses it as an effect on a couple songs. I can send you the one in particular. Um, But yeah, one night like. One night, like I was hanging out with Vernon because Living Color was out here, and I we we went to see uh, we went to see a movie, and then they they like Airbnb a house in Hollywood, and I was driving him back, and I was like, dude, if you listen to Car Bomb, and he wanted to hear that song twice. That's how that's how dope he thought it was. But they're they're interesting. I don't know, you know, I mean, I don't know if they're a band that's for everybody, but it's definitely it's definitely cool shit. I mean, these days, it's just like, I'm thinking more about niche. Oh. Forget about everybody. It's just like, do your thing. Hey, have yeah. you heard this uh, this band called Man, M-A-N? I, I sent you a link. Logicide, it's like this quarter-tone death metal stuff. It's hilarious. I'll check it out. There's There's always sort of like a rhythmic thing that people sort of point to. Like, you know, everyone loves Jay Dilla, but a lot of that stuff is like 20 years old at this point, you know? Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, I'm wondering where the new, you know, trap is cool. It's fun, but what's the next? Yeah. I, I think that's the, that's the weird part of it is like sometimes the, the, the new chapter for rhythms, it, it might just be like a small addendum. Like it might be okay. Like uh, I was talking with Fave yesterday, and he was telling me about this stuff called bass music. And essentially, it's probably just like drum and bass. But you know, there's like some new, new. Uh, it's like updated firmware, if you want to think of it in terms of computer terms. Like you know, like they add a couple things and it morphs a little bit. But that's kind of what's strange is like things sometimes move in leaps, and then it's just like increments. Right, right, right. And I think that's oh, I like... Gotta, oh, you got to check this out. There's this... I can't even say it's a band. It's this one guy. Have you ever heard... Have you heard of these extreme... Obscene extreme fests? No. Oh, man. So it's like... I don't even know what to call this. Like, death metal. But, man, it's not even the low voice anymore. Like, whoa. It's just like... <laughs> it's just like grunts and pig sounds and you got to check this so it's this putrid pile is this one he's this one guy who plays with like 
He's like a vicious shred shred metal player, and he plays with play along tracks. And he huh. goes he goes on stage by himself and just and it's just like ah, it's just screaming. I mean, I can't recognize any word, but it just seems like I mean, it, it seems like really boiled down. It's the groove, it's the guitar, and screaming, and grunts and pig sounds. <laughs> wow, man! Awesome, all, man. What are you? Uh, using gear wise this these days, are you still do you still got the double neck or are you like kind of like scaling that back? No, no, it's you know I just I actually want to do more, more and more micro. I don't even I'm kind of done with twelve notes per octave. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Have you played any stuff that's like uh, like multi scale? Have you tried any of those instruments out? What do you mean? Like the fan frets, where uh, you know, like extended range type guitars. Um, no, I mean I just don't have a whole lot of bread for guitars, right? So, you know, I'm a pretty boring E standard person. I just really want, you know, with the fretless, I can go to a tuning or at least attempt. And. Um, That's basically where I'm where I'm at. I mean, one thing I might I am thinking about as soon as we can travel again, but you know, traveling with a double neck is hard. So I'm thinking about having some kind of contraption so where I could take a short scale um, fretless and have some kind of contraption, and basically pop it on any single neck, and that way I'm also not stuck to one you know one guitar. You know, I could pop it on a semi-hollow, pop it on a Les Paul, pop it on a Fender, a Strat, pop it on anything, and still do my thing. I mean, it, it, it seems like certainly the, the you know, pre-coronavirus, that's where the industry was going anyway. I mean, you know, they say that musical innovations are often, they often happen through social and economic forces. And I mean, Look at the look, look look at the where the upright bass is evolving. You know, I was on this festival with Dave Holland, man. He's playing, you know, it sounded great, but he's playing like this three quarter or half size bass. Oh yeah. It's just prohibit yeah, it's just prohibited. Prohibitive to you know, the airlines are changing the way um the airlines are kind of responsible for, you know, bass design. It's it's yeah, it's weird, man. I haven't had a ton of problems, but you know, there's a, uh, there's a, uh, like a gig bag I use that like, I know if they have to put it under, it's going to be all right. You know, like it's one of those, uh, reunion blues continental bags and it's, and, it's really, amen. yeah, I know some people for a while were using like these golf cases. Oh yeah. Just, um, What's his name? Bass player in New York was doing that. And you know what's nice about a golf case? You know, they make it harder and harder for you to check stuff that's large. Oh, but they make exceptions for sports stuff. You know why? It's because it's like, you know, all those guys, the, all the golfers in first class, they don't want to be held up. Right. So this bass player, he had he had you know a soft case. He just stuck it inside the golf case and then checked it. Awesome. 
Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I have, I mean, I have like a couple shorter scale, smaller, like I have a really amazing short scale five string, which I'm, I'm scared to travel with now because the guy who built it was a dear friend and he, he passed on. So, you know, there's a lot of value on an instrument that isn't just, uh, you know, not monetary, but, um, I have a, I have a headless bass that I got from Stramberg and it's, it's an amazing instrument. It looks like it's from the future, but it's the size of a guitar. So it's small enough that, that, um, and, and that's assuming you could get a guitar on a plane, but it's, it's definitely like not as intimidating as like a, like a regular full sized electric bass. Um, cause people, they're always like, oh, that, that looks too big to fit in the thing. And I don't know. Um, so yeah, I mean, and I know the upright thing is crazy. Like, I think those types of stories, when you see like the shots of like what the upright bases look like at post travel and they're all messed up. I mean, that's, that's like heartbreaking, man. I mean, it's heartbreaking when anyone's instrument gets messed up, but just because those things are so expensive, you know, it's like, it's ridiculous. Well, you know, we did those train tours, right? Right, right. So I heard Dave Holland was just like us standing on the thing, waiting for the train. And, you know, those express trains, they just rip right through. I'm not even sure he his base was too close, but, you know, there's just so much area on the side. Anyway, it was sucked on, uh, you know, in on underneath the train onto the tracks wow that's definitely like a component of travel that sucks i know a lot of people that kind of stop even bartering with the carry-on stuff like they just get there's like an skb case i think it's like 300 bucks and it's like waterproof and i think it's pretty cool i just the the part that's the risk is probably just making sure it shows up on time uh like when the plane lands and making sure it makes the flight like for me that's half of where the stress comes from from flying because like if you're flying you know yeah i just i tell everybody you know don't book me any connection under three hours it's just i remember i got into almost kind of a fight with a person at the airline and finally and then i said look 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 i'm sorry i didn't mean to make this personal just why don't you just spell it out what's the deal and, and she said well the, or maybe it was a guy and he said he didn't hear this from me but um any connection under three hours with your instrument you're asking for trouble i didn't want to hear that but i was like i'm you know glad i know any books, albums, or movie recommendations since people are going to be inside for a bit? Well, it's really been fun for me is like reading with my son, reading like um, stuff like uh, there's this guy, Rick Reardon. He does all these like little kid action, action adventure stuff based on Norse, Egyptian, or Greek mythology. Those, that's been really fun. Um, I've been checking out uh, Hemeos Storm's Song of the Heoica. It's this Native American author. I do want to check out his first book, Seven Arrows. 
I love um, the Tao Te Ching. And um, I really love this book called um, Akata Witch. It's uh, this book based on like Nigerian um, mythology. It's, it's really cool. Uh, musically, uh, the, uh, the new Georgian Microjams record, as I mentioned, um, and, uh, yeah, and the, the, the stuff I've been researching, I mentioned that too. That's, that's basically it for now. Yeah. No films. Um, I mean, one of my favorite films is uh, The Hidden Fortress. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a great, man. That's great. He, you know, the one that uh, Star Wars is based on? What's his name? Akira? Kurosawa. Yeah. That's, like, awesome. Yeah. I mean, I almost almost, almost kind of like that one better than, than Star Wars. It's just... But these days, you know, you can't get anybody's attention if shit isn't blowing up left and right so <laughs> you know what you might like the the hbo watchmen series that's probably one of the most amazing things i've seen um because the source material is really good it was like a 12 comic book series that turned into a graphic novel and it was sort of a standalone thing but then they decided to like tell like a story like 30 years in the future but it deals with all kinds of stuff um that like things based on real real historical events like black wall street and some other stuff and it's like super uh super well done and uh it's like brilliantly acted and the music's cool too it's like uh trent reznor and atticus ross doing the music for each episode but um it's good it's definitely good. Cool. Thanks for uh, doing this, man. Um, Absolutely. Be well. Stay safe. You know. Uh, yes. Yeah, stay safe and um, stay healthy. Thanks, man. You as well. I'll talk to you soon. And I don't have to tell you. Stay funky. <laughs> Absolutely. You do the same, man. For more about David Fusinski, you can go to www.torsos.com. You can also find him on social media. Just check the spelling of his name since it's really unique. That's going to do it for today, folks. New episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Thanks so much for listening and be well. 